What's up, y'all? We are back with another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the latest in the NFL, the Heisman race and playoff picture in college football. Also going to get a little NBA talk in there with the season starting in a few weeks and gearing up for Major League Baseball free agency. Episode 25 coming at you right now. Hello friends, family, and trolls. Welcome back to another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. I'm Preston Pangburn here with my big bro and co-host Landon Pangburn. We've got a lot of football talk for you today and it's hard to believe, but we're only a couple weeks away from the NBA restarting again, the shortest offseason in history. Lots going on in the sports world. Lando, how you doing? I'm good, man. It was a uh, it was a good weekend, although I played another absolutely horrendous round of golf on Saturday. But I made up for it yesterday by putting up my Christmas tree. Also, presents are coming in. Christmas is in the air, so that makes me happy. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Yeah, I love Christmas season. It's the best time of year. You know, it, it's gotten way too cold in Atlanta. The wind's blowing and, you know, that part kind of sucks. But I did play some tennis this past weekend. So if you're able to play tennis in early, you know, mid-December, it's not all that bad. I'm, I'm thankful to live where we live. Do you listen to Christmas music at work? No, that honestly kind of sounds horrible like i'll listen to it in my car and then like when me and tori were decorating the house the other day like we'll we'll listen to christmas music while we put our decorations up but other than that no i'm not just blaring it how about you we legit had christmas music on at work today from the entire time i was there from seven to four Oh yeah, doesn't doesn't your boss, he's like a big stickler about that. He just has to listen to Christmas music. He loves it. He loves it so much that he wants us to listen to it on June 25th because it's six months until Christmas. And then once we hit November 1st, he wants it all day, every day. Oh man, that sounds exhausting. As big of a Christmas guy as I am, I'm way out on that. You got to get some hype Christmas songs though. Like I've, I've introduced you before to Turn Up You Married Gentleman, right? The best Christmas yes. song. Also Carol of the Bass. Sick song. <laughs> Who's that one by? I don't I have no idea, but it's hype. Okay. If you guys haven't heard Carol of the Bass, check it out. It's pretty dope. You're going to have to send me your playlist of these Christmas songs with sick drops in I, there. I've got some other ones too. Yeah, I've got a list, so I'll hit you up soon. All right. Well, before we get into the NFL, we got to update the people. I know that it's a sensitive subject, oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to ask you about it. Guillotine League, you went home last week. I'm sorry to say. I did. It was tough. I have I have rest and peace in the fact that I think I did everything I could do. I think I assembled the best team that I could. I, I have no kind of like qualms about what my team looked like. I had an absolute squad that just somehow all laid duds in the same weekend. When you got your three running backs are Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, and Josh Jacobs, and they all three score under 10 points in a 16 lead, like you're going to go home. It was kind of funny. Like I just knew it was going to happen. On Thursday, which was Thanksgiving Day last week, when Antonio Gibson put up 38 points on my bench against my team, the Dallas Cowboys, I was like, I'm going home this weekend. That's just, it does, that's how it works. 
So that's what sucks is because in this kind of league, when you get down to this few teams, you have really hard decisions to make. And like you just named your running backs. You weren't ever going to start Antonio Gibson no, over those three guys. And then something like that happens. I mean, there's no way to avoid it. And I'm in the same boat where I'm dealing with that now too. Mm-hmm. Like I am in the final five. I think one of the favorites to go home tonight is Poteet. If he does, then next week my running backs are going to be Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Christian McCaffrey. Yep. So if Aaron Jones goes off for 25, 30 points on my bench, I mean, am I to blame for that? Exactly. Aaron Jones went off on your bench yesterday, but you couldn't start him over the three guys you had, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's it's a battle out there, but it's fun. If you have never played in a guillotine league before, I highly recommend it because anybody can win, anybody can lose. It's yeah. it's a fun one. I might be in multiple guillotine leagues next year. It's pretty low maintenance too. It's It's been a blast. It has been. Well, let's move on to the NFL Sunday. It's been a big week in the NFL. First thing I want to talk about, the Browns. The Browns are dope. How about them? Yeah, that was a really fun game yesterday. It ended up being kind of close final score, but that first half was maybe the first best first half of football that any team has played in the NFL this year. They were up, what, 30 to, 38 to 7 at halftime? 38 to 7, and then they kind of shut it down. The Titans came back, lost 41 to 35, but probably the best game of Baker Mayfield's career. It had to be. Baker was tearing him to shreds. Nick Chubb had a really good game. He was throwing it all over the place. To do this without Odell Beckham Jr. too was really, really impressive. The Browns are solid. They are. They're 9 and 3. I mean, I think that when's the last time they made the playoffs? Forever ago. Forever ago. Yeah. Like Kevin Stefanski, he's got to be the front runner, if not one of them, at least for coach of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then it was kind of good for the Browns, too, because they put to bed some of the kind of negative talk that was going on around them. They were eight and three coming into this week, but they had largely beaten up on really bad teams. I think I think they were seven and oh against teams under 500 and one and three against teams that were over 500. So to beat a team that was on a roll like the Titans, who were a very, very good team, was a huge win for them for multiple reasons. Yeah. And it's kind of tragic that they're in the NFC North or the AFC North, excuse me, with the Steelers who are about to be 12-0 and 0 after they beat the Redskins tonight or the Washington football team sorry because any other year I mean the Browns would be in competition for one of those first round buys so unfortunate for them and then the other side of this coin is the Titans people were starting mm-hmm. to think of them as a team that could compete for the AFC challenge the Steelers challenge the Chiefs they laid an absolute stinker against the Browns what's your biggest takeaway from the Titans here The Titans still worry me with their lack of balance in offense. I know Derrick Henry is a monster, and they're going to be able to run the ball, which is especially important when the weather gets cold and playoffs come around. But I still don't fully trust Ryan Tannehill to air it out when they've got to air it out. they got to have a balanced offense, and I'm not sure he can do it. Yeah, I agree with you there. So the Titans, they're 8-4. and They're tied with the Colts for the lead in that division. So they're going to make the playoffs, but huge concern coming out of that one. And then moving over to the NFC, kind of a similar team in a similar bucket here, the Seattle Seahawks. They've been on a little bit of a slide, lost three of their last five now after they dropped one 17-12 to the New York Giants yesterday. What would you think of that game? It's pretty interesting. The one thing that I take away from it is not even the Seahawks, though. How about the Giants? Like the Giants started off horribly. Where are they 0-5? to start the year and now they've won four in a row and I don't know five of the last whatever seven I forget what it is but they're they're looking really really good right now they're on a roll even with some injuries their defense especially has really picked it up they're looking nasty on defense 
They are. And Joe Judge, their their new head coach, he's got the defense cooking. I mean, Jason Garrett and his offense without Saquon Barkley, without Daniel Jones, they had freaking Colt McCoy in there starting yesterday. Wow. I mean, they mustered up 17 points and beat one of the best teams in the league. So good for them. Yeah, it's kind of weird for the Seahawks, though, because we had been thinking that the Seahawks' biggest weakness was defense, and they got Carlos Dunlap, and their pass rush has been better since then, and their defense played really well yesterday, and then their offense throws out a dud and scores 12 points against the Giants. They just can't really put any complete games together right now. Yeah, it's really strange because coming into the year, we talked about how they needed to abandon the run game, you know, let Russ cook was the whole thing, let him air it out. And halfway through the season, he was doing just that. They were on a roll. He was the front runner for MVP. And now they've taken a huge step back. And I think that Pete Carroll has said in a couple of recent interviews, they need to get back to emphasizing the run game. It's like, no, not really. <laughs> no, that's that you were doing just fine throwing the ball earlier this season. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Right. And DK Metcalf is just dominating the league, taking it by storm. He's still got Tyler Lockett as a stud wide receiver number two. So I don't know. Anyway, it seemed to keep an eye on. They've got Chris Carson back from injury now. So I've still got them They're You know, they're my Super Bowl pick. I'm sticking with them. This is just the, the calm before the storm. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. They just need to get hot before the playoffs and they'll be fine. One thing I do want to mention, because a second ago you talked about the Browns not getting one of the first round buys. Got to keep in mind as these last few weeks come down at the end of the season that they're there's only one first round buy in each conference this year. So it's going to be a battle. Well, not really going to be a battle, right? I guess the Steelers and Chiefs are a battle. What's the what's it looking like in the NFC? So the NFC, I think the Saints are in the lead at 10 and 2. And then right behind them is the Green Bay Packers. So that actually is a battle. I don't know what their schedules look like over the last month of the season, but that's going to be pretty big to get that get that buy. Especially those two teams have two of the biggest home field advantages in mm-hmm. all of football. It doesn't sound like the NFL is going to do a bubble for the playoffs. So if, if one of those has to travel to the other, that's a huge advantage there. So let's go ahead and talk about it while you mentioned the Saints. What are your most recent thoughts on our boy Taysom Hill? So he's played really well. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to bring that up because I was saying that he needed to play against a real defense that wasn't the Falcons. And now basically he's played the Falcons twice yes, and has. shredded them both times. But what was really funny, and I was going to rehash this last week, is that we made that bet. Yep. And it was basically a parlay where you said that he was going to throw for 250 yards and said, the Saints I said would 250 win. 250 total yards, to be fair. So running and throwing. But yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, what did he end up at? Low. It was okay. low because it was a fake football game. Yeah, exactly. And and what the point I was going to make is that you made that bet before the whole quarterback room of the Denver Broncos. Yes. I think all four of their quarterbacks were out and they had to start practice squad, ride receiver, former college quarterback, Kendall Hinton. And that was just a complete disaster. Didn't force Taysom Hill to throw the ball yeah, at all. It was, so. it was a fake football game. That's the least real football game that's ever happened in NFL history. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah. So what do you owe me for that bet? Half of your Christmas present? <laughs> I don't know. We never actually said what we were going to bet. So I owe you something. Okay. May- maybe next round of golf or something. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Taysom Hill has looked really good. I know yesterday he had times where he was on a roll throwing the ball. He, interestingly enough, doesn't run it a whole lot right now because they don't want to kind of revert to their third string quarterback, which is Jameis Winston, but then have no backup behind him. So they don't really call any runs for him other than around the goal line. He's still a weapon around the goal line running the ball because he's a huge guy and they can't account for him because they get an extra blocker in there. But he threw the ball really well yesterday. I was impressed by it. Like you said, I do want to see him play against a defense that's not the Falcons, but he's looked really good the last 
last three weeks. Yeah, he has, and he's gotten Michael Thomas back involved. He spent most of the season injured, hadn't been good, and his first couple games back with Drew Brees kind of put it together in both games, went over 100 yards both times against the Falcons. So if they can get that connection going, that's going to be really big for their offense. But yeah, curious to see how they use Taysom going forward with Drew Brees coming back. I think he may come back from his 49 broken ribs this week. <laughs> if not, I think week 15. Yeah, wasn't it kind of funny how Drew Brees was like breaking ribs even on the sideline? The initial report was <laughs> yeah. five, and then it was like 10 and it was like 12 he just kept on having more broken ribs despite not playing okay this is a dumb question how many ribs does the human body have you have 12 but you have two sides so 24 okay and he broke 11 <laughs> he broke a lot dude that's bad yeah it's bad as a physical therapist how do you feel about this how is this recovery timeline only like what three weeks yeah i don't know enough because i didn't see what the x-rays looked like i'm assuming it's like non-displaced so they just kind of heal on their own in a few weeks but okay yeah, yeah i'm not an expert in that field but i'm just gonna go ahead and say that's bad to quite bad yeah it's pretty bad i remember one nfl player was on record a couple weeks ago saying that they had one broken rib and they still feel that to this day like trying to play after trying to play football with broken ribs and he has 11 <laughs> he's it's crazy i don't know how he's gonna get back out there that fast but he's a tough guy he's a professional it's what he does Sounds incredibly painful. Well, for a couple other contenders in the NFC, a huge game yesterday. The Rams beat the Arizona Cardinals, and that, along with the Seahawks loss, puts the Los Angeles Rams in first place of the NFC West. What you think? Yeah, they've been playing really, really good football. They're one of the more well-rounded teams in the NFL, I think, where they have offensive weapons, defensive studs. They're really fun to watch, and I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with as the playoffs come around. Is there any quarterback that's more difficult to figure out than Jared Goff? He just he like alternates these absolute stinker efforts with three or four touchdown games. It seems like all the time, I just can't figure the guy out. And then you factor in, you know, when they made the Super Bowl a couple years ago and everyone was talking about how Sean McVay was behind it because he was like audibling for him at the line, going all the way up into the, to the deadline of the um, microphone in their helmet for when he can tell him what to do. It's just like having his dad out there yeah. <laughs> coaching him in little league football. So what do you think about golf? Can he get it done in the playoffs? I feel like, you're right historically as far as alternating stinkers with really good games, but I feel like the frequency of those two things is changing. I feel like he's having more and more frequent good games in fewer and fewer really bad games. And, you know, bad games are going to happen for everybody except Patrick Mahomes. Bad games happen occasionally. I think Jared Goff is trending in the right direction. You got to keep in mind, he's still a very, very young guy. He's, I mean, he's only 26. So like that's, that's pretty young. And as far as the NFL quarterback's concerned, I like Jared Goff. I do think he can get it done in the playoffs. Okay. I mean, that's a fair take considering they did go to a Super Bowl and only lost by, I don't know, 10 points to that Patriots team. Didn't score more than, what was that game? Like 13 to three? Yeah, it was, it was ugly. <laughs> okay. So they didn't get it done in the Super Bowl, but he has gotten it done in the playoffs, I guess, at least for a couple games. But yeah, so I mean, I'm thinking about the NFC. We talk about the Rams, their weakness is they can't really run the ball. The Packers can't defend the run. The Saints aren't fully healthy. I mean, who are you taking in the NFC? Other than the Lions? <laughs> they're, they're on a roll. I know they were your boys, your preseason pick. The Lions are feeling it. Let's keep in mind, they're only one game out of the seven seed, which makes the playoffs this year. Let's go Lions. Or really the six seed, I think, because the six and seven are tied. But yeah, like you said, every team in the NFC playoff picture has some sort of weakness. You didn't even mention the Bucks, who I think are still going to be dangerous when the playoffs come around. I don't really know who I'm picking right now. I think it's going to be one of those things where whoever gets hot these last four weeks going into the playoffs is going to be the favorite for me because that seems to happen year after year. A team, especially that gets into these like situations where they have to win, where they must win, like 
they're essentially in the playoffs already with three or four weeks left and they start winning out in the regular season, the team that goes in hot tends to do really well. That's going to be who I pick for the NFC. And I'm curious to see who gets hot. I think it would be really fun to see it be the Packers with this kind of rejuvenated MVP forum, Aaron Rodgers, especially if he was matched up against the other MVP candidate, Patrick Mahomes. It's pretty much just between them two at this point, but just the State Farm Super Bowl mm-hmm. could be, be electric. By the way, I think we need to mention Devontae Adams is an absolute monster. Yes, he is, for one, incredibly good. And then his target share is just through the roof. Yes. I mean, they people knock on the Packers because they just never go out and get this number two wide receiver. So he gets all the targets every game. It's like, it's Did you see unreal. yesterday when they got down near the goal line? Yeah, and they, they threw him that like bubble screen. On third and fourth. They yeah. Threw, yeah on, there's, it's third and, third and goal from the one, and they threw him like a bubble screen or whatever, or it was like a slant that they, it was incomplete. And then on fourth and goal, they threw again on out route, and he scored a touchdown. They just throw it to him all the time. He's amazing. Seven games in a row with a touchdown. Yeah, they, they just feed him so much, and it's not just like between the 40s or between the 20s, sorry, or just in the red zone. It's just the whole field, the whole game, every game. Yeah, it's pretty sick to have him on your squad. Right, and so I play against Mac in the first round of the playoffs in one of my other leagues this week, and um, he has Devontae. So I'm just happy I have him in guillotine. It relieves a little bit of the yeah, anxiety. Sure. There's some some hedge opportunity, but Devontae is just a freaking monster. He's dope. Let's move on to maybe my favorite story in the NFL this weekend, which was the lowly New York Jets winning the entire game against the Las Vegas Raiders. And then when the Raiders needed a touchdown at the very end, I think when the, the play started, they were, what, 11 seconds left? Something like that. Very end of the game, like second to last play. They decide to go all out blitz when the Raiders are on the 46 yard line, I believe <laughs> just sending, <laughs> sending eight guys at the quarterback, leaving three guys in one-on-one coverage, two of whom are over rookies. And then one of the receivers for the Raiders is maybe the fastest man in the NFL. And Henry Ruggs absolutely smokes a guy wide open for a touchdown <laughs> to win the game for the Raiders. And then Greg Williams, first of all, gets called out by a team captain yesterday, gets absolutely railed in the postgame press conference and then gets fired today. Everyone in the world, including like Rex Ryan on ESPN today, said it's the worst call of all time. Like, what was that? What are the Jets doing? Yeah. There's been a lot of speculation that it was intentional because it's they not, can't. It can't be because they don't want to lose or win a game and then lose out on Trevor Lawrence in the draft. But there's no way that this happened, right? I mean, no, that, that can't be because Greg Williams lost his job because of it. The guy who made the call doesn't get to have Trevor Lawrence next year. But that's just theatrics. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> they're just making it seem like they're not tanking and that it's not intentional. What do you mean? Okay, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, coordinator makes the call of the all-out blitz. He is now unemployed. He doesn't get to enjoy the benefits of Trevor Lawrence. He didn't know that? Oh my gosh, yes he does. (laughs) Oh, it's just, it's so bad. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. I just don't know what to think about this. I mean, there are a couple things that could have happened. It could have been intentional. (laughs) It's not intentional. It could have been Greg Williams, who was known for his bounty program back in the day with the Saints, where he was basically incentivizing his players like $10,000 to $50,000 to injure players on the opposing team. Do you think that before that play, he was just like 
go injure Derek Carr. <laughs> and they all, they all just race to him and let Henry Ruggs run behind him. That's a better explanation than taking. It's possible. There's yep. got to be something because it makes no sense. Okay, the other one is that I was thinking about today. I haven't looked it up. Like I haven't gone through his Wikipedia history, but it seems to me that Greg Williams has coached for a lot of different teams. Maybe he's trying to be the first coach to ever coach all 32 NFL teams. And so he <laughs> needs to get fired as soon as he can to move on to the next one next year. I don't know, but it makes no sense. He also spells Greg with three Gs. So <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you're including the one at the beginning. Okay, yes. I gotcha. Because yes. I knew it was G-R-E-G-G. I thought you were saying there was a third one on the end. No. I was like, that's a movie. No, that's not what I was going for. <laughs> okay. Well, Greg Williams getting fired and Adam Gase not is just wild. And that's why like, I have questions about whether things were intentional or not. I don't truly believe that it was. But what's the explanation for Adam Gase not being fired? Does He has to have dirt on like the GM or the owner <laughs> or know. something. I, that's a great question. I have no idea. I don't know how that guy's still coaching football at all. But he is somehow so good for him, collecting those paychecks. God, truly insane. <laughs> all right, ne- next game I want to talk about, the Eagles. Yeah. So the whole talk of today is, is it going to be Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts who replaced him in the second half of the game where they lost to the Packers last night? Jalen started to bring him back a little bit in the second half, brought back some bad memories for me as a Georgia fan. You get it. But mm-hmm. what do you think about the situation here? What are the Eagles going to do moving forward? Yeah, it's a pretty interesting situation right now. I have a very, very obnoxious Eagles fan friend. And so every, same. Yeah. Are we talking about the same guy? No, no, we're not. Okay. But you're talking about Jay Fult. Yes, yeah, of okay. course. Okay, I'm talking about Thomas. Thomas Mott, uh, host of 92.9 The Games, Ready Your Mott. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Good plug. Yeah, there you go. So he is a really obnoxious Eagles fan. He's one of those guys that, despite the fact that they're like, whatever they are, like three, seven and one, three, eight and one, he still thinks they're good They and they absolutely suck. And so every week, I just have to let him know as their game is being played how bad they are and how bad specifically Carson Wentz looks because he looks terrible. But I have to admit on this forum that I don't think it's entirely Carson Wentz's fault. Their offensive line is atrocious. They don't have anyone who can get open. Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson have been hurt all year. Travis Fulgham has kind of slowed down after a nice little stretch in the, in the middle of the season. So I don't think it's his fault. I do, though, kind of like Jalen Hurts for the way the team is constructed right now. If they're not going to be able to protect the quarterback and there's not going to be guys open, you need someone who can make some plays with his feet. And Carson Wentz is not that guy. He's just going to stand back there and continue to get killed, either get killed and get sacked six times a game or have to force the ball and turn it over and get intercepted all the time, which is what he's been doing to this point. So I kind of like Jalen Hurts for the rest of this season, given their current situation. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that. I mean, in terms of their roster construction, going back to what you said about the receivers real quick, the one we didn't mention was Jalen Rager, the first rounder out of TCU that they took back in April. And it doesn't help that um, they passed on Justin Jefferson in order to take him. Wasn't it the pick before? Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's kind of an unfortunate situation. I, I personally like Rager. I think he's going to be good, but it just it doesn't help their situation. I know that help. I know that their GM Howie Roseman's under a little bit of fire now too because they're just they got to find a scapegoat whether it's Roseman or head coach Doug Peterson or Carson Wentz. But I think yeah, the most likely scenario is it's going to be Wentz. He's going to get benched for Jalen Hurts, and they're going to see what they can do for the rest of this season. But beyond that, I mean. Carson Wentz's contract is just an absolute nightmare. Yeah, they can't. There's nothing they can do. He is their quarterback for the next at least one year because 
financial wise, like salary cap wise, they cannot get rid of him. I think it's, I don't know the exact numbers, but if they cut him next year, we count like 52 million or 56 million of dead cap space against them. I think it's 59. And then there's like, it's 34 million of dead cap if they trade him, but they're not going to find a trade partner either. So it's just, it's a nightmare situation. They're pretty much kind of stuck with him and got to see what they can do. Yeah, it's funny that obviously we're both Cowboys fans and we each have an obnoxious Eagles fan friend because I always argue with Fulton about, you know, Cowboys Eagles stuff and he gives me a hard time because, of course, I have to tell him like or I have to joke about the five Super Bowls thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and they're always like, oh, you brag about these that were 25 years ago. And I'm just like, dude. I've seen you brag about the 2017 Super Bowl two and three years after it happened, and I promise you, you're going to be doing it yeah, 20 years sure. from now. For sure. <laughs> so they'll understand what boat we're in someday. Yeah, the Cowboys were sick when we were six and four years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, 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 glory <laughs> Those were the glory days. The last time I was happy. Yeah, and you don't even remember any of the three Super Bowls in the 90s. You were too young. No. I remember Super Bowl 30, which was the last one. That's it. Pretty tragic. Well, is that all we got for NFL? I think it is. Moving on to college. Let's do it. Yeah, the the biggest game from this weekend, well, what should have been a big game and ended up being not much of one at all, was Bama at LSU. This is the type of game where you usually think it's going to be two teams in the top five, night game at Baton Rouge. You know, before the season, you would have expected this would be pretty nuts. Kind of a stinker. Bama beat them 55 to 17, got a little bit of revenge from last year. What'd you think about this one? Yeah, it was kind of expected, really, unfortunately, given how LSU's played this season. I guess my two biggest takeaways are things we already knew, but that were further reinforced. One is that Mac Jones is really good, and I understand why he's the current favorite for Heisman at minus 135, but also Devontae Smith is just a complete monster. No one can cover that guy, and I want him on my NFL team. Not the Cowboys, because they already have enough receivers, but if I were an NFL fan of another team who needed a receiver, I want Devontae Smith. I'm with you. Yeah, he ruined my life two years ago. He had that Hail Mary game-winning catch against Georgia in the national championship. And back then, I didn't really know he was that good because he's always, or he was behind a couple other guys on that Bama receiver depth chart. But the way that he's played these last two years is insane. And I finally saw someone after the game on Saturday mention, like, I don't know how I'm not going to have him as my wide receiver one on my board come April. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people have saying it's going to be Jamar Chase out of LSU, but how do you not have Devontae Smith? I mean, there's he's he's got good size. He's got good speed. He's an incredible route runner. His production in the SEC is insane. I mean, he's got to be a top five pick. So looking back at college football last season, how absurd were both the LSU and Alabama wide receiving cores? Unbelievable. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall for LSU, and you had uh, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith for Bama. That four for Bama is nuts. That is insanity. <laughs> that is insane. Those Are those the two best wide receiving cores in college football history in the same year in the same division of the same conference? Like It has to be up there. <laughs> People are talking about it. It's crazy, dude. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's nuts. And you mentioned Mac Jones after another monster performance, minus 135 to win the Heisman. You know, a distant third and fourth, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence both tied plus 2,000. They're basically out of it. Yeah. So the only other contender, Kyle Trask at plus 110. Yeah. That's, that's going to settle itself out, right, when they play in the SEC championship. For sure. That's just a product of Trevor Lawrence not playing enough games because he was out for COVID and Ohio State not playing enough games just because cancellations and Big Ten had a shorter season. So I understand why those two guys are out. But yeah, it really comes down to the SEC championship of Mac Jones versus Kyle Trask. 
Yes, it does. And then only other game that I want to talk about in college football, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Yeah, you got to love them. That's a great story. They just became a Division One program like a few years back, and they're undefeated right now, beating a ranked team, another ranked team. I think that's either their second or third ranked win of the year. They got two more games to go to finish 12-0. and That's pretty cool. Yeah. Did you see alumni and new Masters champion Dustin Johnson on college game day? No, that's dope. Let's <laughs> yeah, go. he went to Coastal Carolina. So yeah, I mean they beat BYU and BYU with Zach Wilson at quarterback. The um, what was his nickname again? The uh, what, <laughs> something ridiculous. Has um, to be a Mormon, uh, Mormon Mahomes. Mahomes. Mormon Mahomes. Mahomes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How could I forget? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Mormon Mahomes. He kind of let him down. They lost twenty-two to seventeen to the Chanticleers. They were like the only team that it kind of felt like if there was absolute chaos, maybe they could crash the party and make the playoff. But not going to happen. It's it's pretty much going to be chalk. Coastal Carolina is going to be a new destination school with a powerhouse football team living on the beach. That is dope. Yeah, powerhouse. <laughs> it's it's like the um what was it Florida Gulf Coast yeah, Dunk University City. Dunk City. Yes, they years were ago. sick and their dorms were like on the beach. Right, that was amazing. They kind of fell off, but <laughs> they did. I mean, their coach went to USC. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty sick. I, I don't even know who Coastal Carolina's uh, head football coach is, but I guarantee he's going to get a sick job. He is going to get a good job. By the way, I think Florida Gulf Coast is one of my favorite Cinderella's March Madness history because. They were not only winning games; they were like they were flashy. They were throwing down sick dunks and alley oops. And remember that point guard was throwing all kinds of crazy passes. How much fun were they? They were awesome. Yeah, they had that power forward with the dreads, just throwing down a bunch of oops. I mean, yeah, uh, going from an unknown what were they, fifteen, sixteen seed, yeah. to being dunk city is pretty sick. Can you name any players from that team? No. What was the what was the really good guy with the dreads name? It was like Sherwood something. I don't know. I gotta look it up. <laughs> the guy was dope though. I, I couldn't tell you. I got nothing. All right, we we went off the rails. I'm not even sure how we got there. <laughs> but let's recap the playoff picture real quick. I mean, we've got number one Alabama. They're basically a lock to get in if they beat Florida in the SEC championship, and maybe even if they don't. Yeah. Number two is Notre Dame, which sneaky number two right now. They're gonna match up with number three Clemson. So. I guess winner of that game gets in, losers on the bubble. And then Ohio State, do they have to play anyone left? No, they only have one game left, and I forget who it is, but it's no one one good. Oh, they play Michigan. They're going to kill Michigan. Yeah, that one's going to be tough. I mean, God, they could just play their starters for one half and then be like, let's rest up for the playoff. Yeah, seriously. It's just such a weird year because don't they have to win one more game to become playoff slash bowl eligible? No, that's not a thing this year. They, I know the Big Ten rules. They do have to win one more game. They have to, they have to play one more game to be eligible for the Big Ten championship. That's a thing. Um, so they got to play this Saturday. Their game can't get canceled due to COVID or else they're in trouble for that. But they're going to make it. So we're basically down to Alabama, Ohio State, and the winner of the ACC championship is in the playoff. And then you got a couple of bubble teams aside from that. I would think that most likely the loser of Clemson-Notre Dame is still going to be in. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Unless, like, if Florida plays Bama close and Clemson just beats the piss out of Notre Dame, like, I think that Florida could get in for the eye test. I mean, I know that they lost to another, what, top five team in Texas A&M. I think that that counts for something that A&M is at least still really good. So you think there'd actually be a conversation of two lost Florida over one lost Notre Dame? I think that it would be a conversation. I don't think they would get in. I think they'd lean Notre Dame. It just kind of depends on how the games go. But if there's any scenario to at least argue about, I think that's it. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I I would be willing to bet probably a lot of money that those two teams from the ACC, considering Notre Dame being an ACC team this year, are probably both going to make it. 
I'm with you. I, on that day of the SEC championship, I'm just going to have anxiety. Like, I think that Bama's going to win, but I just I hope they beat Florida real good. Yeah, I hope so, too. All right, moving <laughs> on from college football. Let's do it. You want to talk some NBA? Let's talk a little bit of NBA basketball. So ESPN came out today. By the way, NBA season starts in just a couple of weeks. We're December 7th today. The season starts on December 22nd. So two weeks from tomorrow, NBA season begins. Today, ESPN came out with their new power rankings for this upcoming season. So I just wanted to take a look through those real quick and see if anything stands out to us. I know the first thing that stands out to me is the very top of the ranking. So the Lakers are number one, which is expected. The Bucks are number two, which is also expected. But the first surprise to me comes at number three with the Brooklyn Nets. What do you think about the Nets being at number three? So I don't like the Nets being at number three, but can I actually rewind real quick? Yeah, what you got? I don't like the Bucks being at number two. Okay, what about it? Tell I know me. you said that's expected, and I, I think that there's going to be less uproar putting the Bucks at number two than there would be if you put them down at number five and six. But I don't know. I'm just thinking about this team. Like, do we really have to do this with the Bucks again? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They're. I, I get what you're saying. It's it's kind of a tough situation to rank them. It is because you know that they're going to be studs during the regular season. This is kind of the the Mike Buttonholzer thing: go all out, get your one seed. But I just I don't know. I, I don't have them as the best team in the East. I think that I don't know. I I, I would put the Heat above them just because they made that run to the finals. They're only going to get better. I would think with Jimmy Butler having him, you know, have built chemistry with these guys for another year. Bam Adebayo is going to get better. They're going to have Goran Dragic healthy. Tyler Harrow is going to get better in his second year. I don't know. I've got the Heat as the best team in the East, and then I might even put the Brooklyn Nets ahead of them. Wow. Okay. Interesting. By the way, a little side, side note, because you mentioned Bam Adebayo. Did you see the headline today? He recently signed his max contract, and he recently now has bought his mom a brand new house after growing up in a trailer. Good for Bam Adebayo. Very happy story. Love that for him. I love that too. There are so many of those stories in the NBA and they never get old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all these guys just grow up poor and then you see these videos of them buying houses for their moms or cars for their parents and it's just always really fun. I love it. It, it is really fun. I'm with you there. Yeah, so the Bucks are kind of interesting. They did add Drew Holiday, which is a really big addition and had that Bogdanovich trade fall through, which sucks for them. I'm kind of with you. I think they're going to be the number one seed in the East again, but I, like you are, I don't trust them in the playoffs. I don't really no, but I also don't like the Nets this high. First of all, we have no idea what Kevin Durant's going to look like coming off of injury. Second of all, Kyrie Irving is so injury prone. Third of all, Steve Nash is a first-time head coach with two big personalities that I'm not sure are going to coalesce very well. And then lastly, I don't know what their team's going to look like behind those two superstars. Is James Harden going to be there? Because that could be a disaster. But even without him, Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert both need the ball. I don't know if they're supporting cast other than Joe Harris, who I love. I don't know if their supporting cast is going to be very good. I don't think they're going to be a bad team, but number three in the NBA seems really, really high for me. It all just depends on health, I think. I mean, the biggest thing is how Kevin Durant comes back from that injury because he's, what, 30 years old? And mm-hmm. Achilles injuries are not great. No, they're not. I mean, not. They've, they've been a kill shot for a couple older guys in the NBA, specifically Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. just dropped off a ton after his Achilles. But if he can stay healthy, if Kyrie can stay healthy, then they are going to be really good. But yeah, number three is really high. And I think the most offensive part of that is how do you put them over the Clippers? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I don't like that at all. By the way, I'm looking through Kyrie's stats right now, and he in, what what is this, eight seasons, nine seasons of the NBA, has played more than 70 games three times. He misses at least 15 to 20 games almost every year. Like, that's, that's significant. Yeah, and that's almost, in my mind, another deterrent for trading for James Harden. 
if you give up, you know, three, four assets for James Harden, then you have no depth and then anybody gets hurt and you're just kind of screwed. And mm-hmm. when you're fully healthy, they'll be great. Or at least maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just, it's a huge risk doing that when you have someone like Kyrie who you need to rely on to score, especially in the playoffs if, if he goes down with any injury at some point. So keeping in mind, this is a 72 game, not an 82 game season. I have a bet with a coworker before any over-unders came out for the season. I just threw it out there. Like I asked him, what do you think? Or how many wins do you think the Nets are going to get? What do you think the record's going to be? And he said either 44 or 45. So we set the line at 44 and a half. I took the under. I feel great about that. I'm taking the under 44 and a half all day. So what would that be? 44 and 28 mm-hmm. would be kind of the line there. Hmm. What is their actual line? Have you looked it up? I haven't looked up their line in Vegas. I did look up, well, there was a, another ESPN article last week sometime, maybe a few days ago, that was using statistical analysis to project the win total for every team. And the win total for the Nets came out at 39, I believe. So a five and a half game little cushion there. Felt really good about that. Interesting. I just pulled it up on Sportsbook over under 46. No way. Now yeah. I feel terrible about it. it Dang it. It's interesting because I would have said the same thing. I kind of like your side of it. But yeah, I guess your coworkers kind of getting a premium to the Vegas odds. Well, shoot. All right. Well, I'm still going to take it. I got, <laughs> I got under 44 and a half. Sammy, good luck. Well, yeah, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news you in are. terms of you got you know a worse bet than you could have gotten in Vegas. But now it qualifies as a hot take. So congrats. Let's dude. go. All right, sick. That's huge. All right, scrolling down. The next surprise to me. So we had the Clippers at four and Heat at five was the Dallas Mavericks at six. What do you think about that? I mean, Luka Doncic at some point is going to win an MVP this year. This year? Yeah. That's your boy? He's got to. He, like, he has to do it, right? So first of all, people don't like to vote for the same guy over and over again. So even though Giannis is still going to be a monster, people just want a new guy. And Luka not only is a stud, he gets the ball all the time. So he has so much opportunity. And he's just kind of like the hype train is at an all-time high. I don't remember this much hype around one guy, probably since LeBron, right? Like everyone just loves Luka. Like Luka's the story. Yeah, he is. And he's incredible. He's going to be at least a you know top five MVP candidate as long as he stays healthy. He's like a, what, 29 and nine guy last year? Or 29, nine and nine, yes. excuse me. Yes. I mean, he's just absolutely incredible already at 20 years old. So he will hopefully take another step forward for them. The biggest question is Kristaps Porzingis. Can he stay healthy? The big 7'3 dude missed a lot of time last year, went down in the playoffs, which didn't help him in that series against the Clippers. And then I guess the biggest other part of their offseason is they traded Seth Curry, mm-hmm. Steph's brother, good he, shooter. He was a good player too. Yeah, he was really good for them. They traded him for Josh Richardson from the Heat. So kind of traded some shooting for like a two-way good-sized guard. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that'll help them come the playoffs. Yeah, they're a good team. Great coach, by the way. Rick Carlisle does not get enough credit for how incredible the coach he is, especially the offensive side. Last year, we talked about this during the season, but the Mavs set the NBA record, all-time record for most efficient offense in a single season. They're pretty good. They're only going to get better. You have talked, you're on record talking about, you think that Giannis is going to go to the Heat next offseason. I kind of like the Mavs, man. The Mavs are going to have a max slot as long as they don't keep Josh Richardson. They're going to have a max salary slot. Giannis next to Luka is a perfect combo. You have like inside guy with nasty defense and Luka who's like a perimeter guy who can dish the ball. Like that is just a sick tandem. 
That would be really cool, especially since we go out to Dallas for the holidays, go catch a Mavs game. Yes, we are 100% going to the Mavs every time if we do that. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be really cool. And it's funny because I can already hear dad saying it when the Mavs are like 40 and two with Luca and Giannis and you ask him about the Mavs chances in the playoffs. He's like, eh, they're mediocre at best. <laughs> yeah, mediocre. Every, every team dad ever roots for is mediocre at Medi- best. <laughs> going back to like my six-year-old baseball team. Yeah, yeah. If your team is lights out, yeah, <laughs> mediocre at best. Yeah. <laughs> Steelers this year, mediocre at best. Yeah. 98 Bulls, mediocre yeah. at best. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> All right, looking through, looking through the rest of the rankings, let's see if anything sticks out to you. I mean, rounding out the top 10, number seven, you've got the Nuggets, number eight, the Celtics, nine, the 76ers who have undergone some change this offseason, and then number 10, the Raptors. All four of those, you know, these kind of fringe contenders, but unless there are some injuries to other top contenders or they make another big trade or big move, don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm with you. The next one that I'm interested in is number 14, which is the Phoenix Suns. I think that's just kind of fun because I wasn't sure where they were going to be with all the offseason moves. That sounds about right. Kind of a lower tier Western Conference playoff team, but also at the same time firmly in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, they're 8-0 in their last eight. Keep up that pace. They're going 72-0. Yes, so you got, you got to consider that at Let's least. Let's go. Love that. The Rockets being at 15 is kind of interesting with James Harden, who's currently holding out, by the way. Yes. And they said there is no timetable for him to report, which is just absolutely hilarious. I guess he's trying to force his way out even after Russell Westbrook left. So clearly that riff wasn't the driving force between uh, or behind him wanting out. I guess he just really wants to go to the Nets. So we've worn this joke out on this podcast, but it's probably actually true. The NBA has outlawed for this season any sorts of like bars and clubs for players because they don't want them to get COVID. That is exactly why James Harden is sitting out. The longer he holds out, the longer until he reports to camp and the season starts, the longer he gets to go to the strippy, and that's, <laughs> that's all he cares about. That's actually not a bad point. I'm, I'm I'm being serious about it. Like I know it's a joke, and it's kind of funny to laugh at James Harden because it's all he does, but he probably is legit not reporting to the Rockets so he can go to the strip club. Yeah, who, sorry, who did they just trade for? They John trade, Wall. Yeah, because people were uh, joking about that John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade because John Wall is going to be right there with James Harden. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't Good know what those the team's going to look like. So they have John Wall and, and James Harden, and then they also traded for Christian Wood, which have we talked about Christian Wood on this podcast yet? No, I know that you're a big Christian Wood guy. He put together a really good stretch at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah. He was averaging, I think, 20 and 10-ish a game for the last 10 or so games. Really small sample size. He could be Jeremy Lin or he could be an all-star. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, having a couple good pieces in place, but your franchise player wanting out is just kind of a weird place to be. They're a little bit in limbo right now. Yeah, especially with a new coach. The last thing you need as a new coach in a short offseason is for your best player to not be there for the very brief practice time that you have. That's going to be a tough, tough situation. Even if he does come back and play for them, they're not going to do well at the beginning of the season. I wouldn't think because they have they have no continuity or no cohesiveness at all. Right, that's going to be a battle, and it's not great to have a shortened season because you know it'll be a bigger impact of that early slide if they have one. But that's about all I got for the NBA. I know that you wanted to talk about some Major League Baseball impending free agency. Yeah, so NBA or sorry, MLB free agency starts really soon. There are a lot of I wouldn't say like massive names on the block this this offseason, but there are a bunch of really good pieces that could put contending teams over the top. So just to throw a few out there, JT Real Muto, who is a really good player, great defensive catcher, and also super valuable because so few catchers in Major League Baseball these days can hit at all. He's like one of the only ones that can. So he's expected to probably leave the Phillies because the rumor on the street right now 
is that the Phillies are in a tough financial situation. So I think JT Realmuto is going to probably break the all-time record for catcher contracts. I don't know who's going to, but a lot of teams are going to be looking out for him. Do you think the Phillies' tough situation has anything to do with uh, paying Bryce Harper $330 million? Hey, I'm I'm actually not opposed to Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper statistically has been a – he's not been incredible, but he's been a top 25 hitter in baseball the last couple of years. He's still really good. Maybe not whatever he is, $33 million a year good, but he's not that far below that value. He's he's a stud. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with the Phillies then. Maybe they're sharing a little bit in Philadelphia with that Carson Wentz contract. <laughs> Maybe they are. All right, other big names. George Springer's one. It's pretty much guaranteed at this point that he's not going back to the Astros for obvious reasons. It's it's going to be tough playing for the Astros with fans again next year. Then he wants a fresh start and get out of there. A couple of teams that have been rumored around George Springer are the Toronto Blue Jays and the New York Mets, which is kind of funny because almost every name that I've looked at in MLB free agency, the Mets and the Blue Jays are tied to them. I don't know why, but those two teams apparently are going ham this offseason. Yeah, so I'm a little sad about it because I read probably the same article that you did a few weeks ago at this point, and it was that the Mets were going to go after George George Springer and then also try to trade for Francisco Lindor, the shortstop for the Indians. And it's because the Mets just sold. Okay. They just sold to Steve Cohen, super billionaire, who has pretty much said that he's going to win a World Series in his first three years. Like this wow. guy, <laughs> he's got a lot of money. There's no salary cap. He's in New York, can attract free agents there. So he's going to go all out. And as a Braves fan, I'm a little sad about it. That sucks. Yeah, it sucks a lot. I don't like that at all. Yeah, the Braves are in a division in the NL East with all pretty much huge market teams other than the Marlins. I mean, you've got the Mets, Nats, and Phillies who all are willing to spend a ton of money. So it's just tough for the Braves to compete, but they are back-to-back uh, division champions. So we'll take it. Yeah, it looks like for the next few years, at least, that division is going to be stacked. Moving on to a couple of the big names, Trevor Bauer is one of them. He's the best arm on the market this offseason. He's in kind of an interesting situation coming off of a really, really good year. But at the same time, all these teams, because of COVID having less money, the word is that he's not going to sign a long-term contract and probably go year to year, at least for one year, sign a one-year deal in the range of like $30 million-ish, and then bet on revenues returning closer to normal next offseason and then cashing in, signing a long-term deal. So Trevor Bauer, we've talked about him on this podcast a good bit before. He's a bit of a weird guy. And yeah, he yes. said it was either last offseason or the offseason before that he was going to sign one-year contracts for the rest of his career. Like, he pretty much laid that out. And does he mean that? Who knows? Maybe he's just using that as leverage for, you know, sometime down the road landing a huge deal. But he tweeted earlier after the season ended that he would consider any offer from any Major League Baseball team or any Japanese League team. So okay. <laughs> he, just, he just wants a fat one-year deal no matter where it is. And when I say where it is, that includes Japan. All right. Fair enough. Well, isn't that kind of weird? Because in Major League Baseball, where contracts are fully guaranteed and teams are willing to pay stupid amounts of money to guys into their later years, like for example, example, Albert Pujols is getting paid $31 million a year the next two years because they were willing to pay for him in his prime and just kind of like give it up in his later years, even though he was going to fall on production. Trevor Bauer, if he signs a one-year deal every year, the second that his production goes down, then he's going to make a lot less money. I feel like that's why you sign a long-term deal. It's going to be much more lucrative if he does that than if he does one one year at a time, but I don't know. Yeah, financially and just in terms of the risk, I don't think that it makes sense, but like we mentioned, he's just a weird guy. Maybe he just kind of wants to bounce around, live in a bunch of different cities and do that. Uh, but I have seen on Twitter, he's been flirting with Angels fans a lot. So yeah. at this point, I feel like if he doesn't go to the Angels, he kind of trolled them pretty hard. So that's my pick and I like it because I want Mike Trout in the playoffs. Yeah, and he's a UCLA guy, right? 
Is he? Yeah, I wouldn't think he went to UCLA, so it makes perfect sense. I think he's from California, went to UCLA, so Angels make make a ton of sense. I think you're actually right because I think he pitched at UCLA with Garrett Cole, and they yeah. were, then they were both top five picks. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah, other names: DJ LeMayhew, huge for the Yankees. They're going to try to re-sign him, but it's going to cost a lot of money because other teams want him. And then lastly, one big storyline is that some of these guys, or really a good number of these guys, their market is highly dependent on whenever the league gets together and decides whether or not there's going to be a universal DH. So if you names are Nelson Cruz, Marcelo Zuna, Carlos Santana, and even like Michael Brantley, who's kind of aged out of being able to play a position really well, those four guys are all going to be much better served as DHs. And if they decide to go with the universal DH, their market's going to double instead of being limited to the 15 American League teams. Yeah, and I can't believe that Major League Baseball hasn't come out and ruled on that yet because it's really just leaving a lot of teams in a bad spot. And one of them is our Atlanta Braves. Yep. You want Marcelo Zuna back. He really kind of took over that locker room last year. Of course, you know, they had Freddie Freeman there. He's the cornerstone of the franchise, one MVP. But I feel like Marcelo Zuna was just such a big difference maker in that locker room, really a good mentor for some of the young guys like Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albee. So I'll be keeping an eye on Ozuna. But yeah, there are a bunch of big ones out there. Like you mentioned, Nelly Cruz, who is timeless he's just going to be 48 years old hitting 48 bombs every season so yeah there are some big names he's a stud i've I've said this before but i'm on the record i want to say it again i love the universal dh after watching it this season it's just better baseball it's so much better to not have an automatic out once every three innings just keep it baseball let's do this with the universal dh it just doesn't make sense like if you apply it to any other league like why would you ever do that it's like the nfc having kickers and the AFC just not kicking. Like, you either have to go for it or whatever. Yeah, it like, it's, no just, it's just dumb. <laughs> I'm with you there. All right, well, that's all I got for today. All right, that's it. Well, thank you all so much for listening once again. Don't forget to follow us and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week. Talk to you all soon. Have a good day. Oh.